0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg.
1: Shanali Basak dropping by the studio. Bloomberg News Investment Banking reporter. Shanali, record net income of 97 Billion dollars, but it's never about that, is it? It's never about the record profits, it's always about the outlook. And what's the outlook?
2: The outlook so far isn't great. The net interest income coming down just a bit to uh, 57.5 billion that's only 500 million less, but it's never good when you see a decline in a core
0: business. I see book value up 7%, I see an organic revenue number of 4.1% year over year. I mean, it is best in class, isn't it? The ratios are jaw-dropping compared to the competition.
2: Citigroup is trying so hard to hit the return on capital number of 12%,
0: but J.P. Morgan is blowing through 20. Really, that's that's important, let's stop there. Citigroup has a hurdle rate of a given ratio of 12%, and Mr. Diamond's, did you just say at 20%? Mm-hmm.
2: But let's be clear, we can't get too excited about the numbers that we're seeing now when it's probably already baked into the stock. The fact that the net interest income is going down a bit and loans are growing slower is a concern. And, you know, Jamie Diamond, the first thing he said was he's um, confident yeah. in the consumer.
0: <clears throat> I mean, I see price-to-book just one ratio we use in the Bloomberg. John, Citigroup is at 0.9%. And J.P. Morgan is at 1.6. What a valuation difference.
1: So that's what's baked into the valuation of these two companies right now. So all it's about now is the outlook versus each other. And the outlook is interesting, and you pick up on it. The cut to the net interest income, Shanali, didn't see it in City. Why not?
2: That's a question. Not sure. Maybe. I mean, the thing is, some people already started to revise estimates lower, I believe. J.P. Morgan, we didn't see them yet. Remember, Wells Fargo made a big cut uh, a couple months ago. And so some of these expectations were already baked in, but J.P. Morgan kind of held steady.
1: Wells Fargo coming in around about an hour. What are you looking for, Shanali?
2: Also, consumer results—we uh, already know about their um, interest rate expectations. But you know, trading. By the yeah. way, we have Goldman Sachs in less than that. We have Goldman Sachs in a half an hour, and we only
0: do to- one bank a day. <laughs> That's all we do in surveillance. Thomas showed with us, with Stiefel KBW, the chief executive officer of Keith Bryant and Woods, and of course, uh, their combination with uh, Stiefel. He's given us great perspective this morning on these banks. What is the distance of these major banks, Mr. Michaud, from the regionals? I mean, they're too big to fail, and there's the super regionals, Are they like five times bigger than the regionals? Are they two times bigger? What's that ratio? Well, The
3: the big four are enormous. They're $2 trillion in assets. And then you, you get very quickly down to banks that are just a couple hundred billion. So these banks can be 10 times bigger. Uh, the big 4 banks have about 41% of the deposits in america which is up from about 30% uh, exactly before the, the crisis
0: is 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 there legislation to preclude that or are we comfortable with almost a a neo-canadian model of four dominant big banks i mean do we want that
3: well, the, so the, they have picked up market share since the crisis. There are laws that say that you can't acquire yeah. another bank when you're over 10% But the, of the fact deposits. is they're
0: growing. I mean, they even are if they're growing. laws, they're they, growing. You just what, said so.
3: What's different, you had asked earlier what's different, which is a great question. We, we have been watching the sweet spot of banking for a long time. And for most of my career, the smaller right. banks were more profitable. That dynamic is now shifting. And now you're seeing some of the, so now when we look at the strata in the industry, the over $50 billion banks are becoming the more profitable ones. And so you're starting to see scale and diversification start to work, even though we talked about it forever, it hadn't worked. Now it's starting to work. That doesn't mean the smaller banks, there aren't high-performing ones. It doesn't mean in all cases, for example, City's a little bit behind J.P. Morgan in profitability. It doesn't mean there aren't examples of differences. But when you look at the aggregate data, yeah. that's what we're seeing.
1: Looking at the net interest income outlook for J.P. Morgan, cutting that seems to be weighing on the stock, at least in the early part of this morning. What is it about J.P. Morgan and the business model that would lead them to cut that outlook? And for City, they keep it
3: unchanged. You know, it's it's a lot of it is the work that they've done up to this point and how they've gone about collecting. I think that this net interest margin drive is going to be what's happening on the funding side as much as it is on the asset side. So it's a makeup of your deposits and, and where the competitive pressure is on that, because even though interest rates now are going to be going down there still is a, a speedboat effect where there's a deposit mix change that's happening yeah. that's affecting the deposit cost. So actually, mm-hmm. if I was doing more work, I would dig into the deposit cost of the franchise, and that's really where you, where you see the separation.
2: What does that mean for Bank of America tomorrow?
3: Um, well, what are
0: you doing? You're using him to finish your story? Is that, yeah. is that <laughs> what this is? I can't help myself. Please, take No,
3: please <laughs> you know. I, w- We think that Bank America, like the rest of the industry, is going to be talking about tighter margins because I don't think much of the industry a year ago was looking for interest rates to start going down.
1: Tom was talking about valuations a couple of minutes ago. Record net income of $9.7 billion for JP Morgan. We saw record profits from all of these banks last year. As well, Tom, yet they don't seem to be attracting the valuation. Investors seem to be shrugging so, their shoulders whenever they see records like this. Why is that the case? So
3: I'm going to give you the big pieces for what I think is the balance and to give you the perspective. The, the banking industry, especially many of these banks and JP Morgan in particular, are very profitable. They've more than recovered their profitability from the crisis. What we're talking about now is just growth. So it's not as if the bottom is falling out. It's just that revenues are going to be growing slower because we've yeah. had, I think, a sudden unexpected change in where interest rates are going. Mm-hmm. So, so, and investors are very concerned. And so now they're trading at a, tw- we think at a 20 plus percent discount <clears throat> right. where historically they would for the performance they have now. And it's all about expectations. The other, uh, the other item that we haven't talked about is that we're not talking about credit. We, we've just talked about JP Morgan's earnings, and I haven't had a, you know, I've been on the set, so I haven't had a chance to look at well, the look credit Well, look at
1: credit quality.
3: provisions, and, uh, and Shanani can confirm. They actually came down.
1: So credit
3: Morgan. is pristine to the point where it can't get any better. So I think uh, what uh, investors are worried about when they see all this uncertainty around trade and macro growth is they keep discounting right. a credit cycle that hasn't come.
0: Everybody wants to be a wealth manager, and wealth management permeates every deck, every you know, spreadsheet and all that. Come on, everybody wants to jump into the same business. Is your radar up on that, Thomas Show? And that, that there's just too many people chasing after too few asset gathering fees?
3: Well, there there's a tremendous amount of competition, yeah. even though it's shaking out, you know? And I, and I think what's notable is Deutsche Bank Kept shrinking it. their equity business. And so you're seeing some retreating going on, which you would, but I don't, think it will come to a point where you'll see uh, folks feel like there aren't too many competitors. These are very competitive businesses. But when I talk to my colleagues in the office, that they have always been competitive. And we should expect nothing different.
1: Thomas Hugg, KBW Chief Executive.
0: John, what sticks out so far besides terrific ratios, use of cash? You know, I get the churning and all the challenges, but we didn't think we'd be here 10 years ago. Well, use
1: of cash, I think, is the story for the banks. The capital return programs are just ginormous.
0: Ginormous, that's a correct word. And
1: so many investors have lined up to tell me they want to be long the financials. They think the share count's just going to get eaten up. It's going to juice EPS, and that's something they want to be a part of. I just wonder, Tom, whether this story can repeat itself next year the no, year after
0: the, yeah
1: maybe john Stolfus can help us with that oppenheimer's yeah. co-chief <clears throat> investment strategist
0: john has been a huge optimist and writes a lovely detailed note what is detailed on banking john within your note now can you be long the banks
4: well we are long the banks and we've been overweight financials for the last year it required some patience and perseverance uh, but we've got to say uh, that the banks have certainly performed better this year than last. Uh, by the end of, of the, the most recent quarter, they were still underperforming. But my recollection is they were up about fourteen, uh, uh, up about fourteen percent by the end of the of the second quarter, and that's. You got to say that's pretty. That's that's a pretty good return, and we think what it is is that banks are not as dependent as they once were on the NIMS uh, for their uh, for their for their profitability. Mm-hmm. There's an awful lot of fees involved. There's all of us who are are, are clients of, of commercial banks. You know, if you have a deposit account, you know, you don't get paid anything on it. And uh, there's they give very little and take as much as they can. So we've got to think that the financials are a good place to be as a shareholder.
1: John, it's a really, really important point that you make about the recurring fee-based revenue of these banks and how the business models have shifted over the last 10 years. But have investor perceptions shifted on what low rates ultimately do and don't mean for some of these businesses?
4: I don't think yet, Jonathan. I think at this point what we're looking at, very much as investors are just, uh, I I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I think investors are just beginning to wake up to that fact. And uh, as as a result of that, uh, we think these have a lot more to go. I'm I'm looking here on my Bloomberg, uh, a year-to-date financials up 18.08%, still underperforming the S&P 500 year-to-date through yesterday. You know, but that's, I, I would I'm pleased with that return on that index right now and considering the take they pay better dividends than they've paid in years this is beginning to look like an attractive space especially when considering the runups that we've seen in technology and consumer discretionary and con- uh, uh, communication services yeah uh, you know and, 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 it's, and then in some of the defensives like real estate and youths, Dutch financials look like they're saying hey, Good time to, uh, to to buy us now. How well, John, about?
1: just in terms of the psychology, I think it's important. You said market perception may be shifting somewhat. What gives you the confidence? Because there's an old line, isn't there? Don't fight the market. And if you think yeah. it should be valued one way, but everyone else thinks it should be valued another, everyone else is going to win that fight, aren't they? Uh, uh,
4: Jonathan, when I, when I just look at those returns, I've got to say double digits and and almost uh, uh, knocking on, on the on the 20% market up 18.08% year-to-date does show a change of perception actually taking place. Yeah. It's not
0: convinced yet. John, how do you stay in the market? One of the great Stolfus hallmarks, I think of Gina Martin-Adams of Bloomberg Intelligence as well, is through thick and thin, you were writing notes begging Oppenheimer accounts to have the courage to stay in the market. How do you do that on the edge of twenty-eight thousand Dow?
4: Well, I, I think you've got to look uh, at the at both cyclical and secular trends, uh, Tom. Uh, what we feel it, it, is that uh, when it comes to technology today, is parallel on on a historical timeline. We believe to the automobile when it began to replace the horse, and we don't mean the tech today is replacing people. But it is changing everything that both corporates do as well as consumers do, and people in their individual lives. Uh, when was the last time you got into a car and you were driving to some new pl- new destination and you had a yellow legal pad with directions scrawled on it and expectations that you could find a gas station where somebody would give you directions? You just you just either plug in your iPhone or connect mm-hmm. wirelessly, and you're running on GPS, and it that permeates our lifestyles, and it's almost a a constant upgrade cycle, both for businesses and consumers.
0: To the heart of your skill sets, if I need to catch up now, do I buy high beta performers or do I go with low beta performers for solid return, given any kind of optimism?
4: Well, in in portfolios that that we manage, that, that, that we've enjoyed, we actually select... Uh, uh, lower beta portfolios that, that, are, that, that are close to matching the, the S&P 500, but just a little bit below it. And we find that we can find many growthier uh, value stocks, as well as, as, as uh, good growth in, in, uh, in big names in technology that are very much linked to facilitating technological advancements and upgrades in all sectors.
1: John, just as a final question for you, the Bank of America Fund Manager Survey came out early this morning. Always really interesting to see where the bias is. The most crowded trades at the moment, long treasuries, long US tech, long investment grade corporate bonds. There is a very much a long America theme to some of the most crowded trades at the moment, John. And I just wonder, out of all of them, which one would you be fading right now?
4: Uh, it, it is the, the, the one uh, along uh, U.S. bonds. I, I, think, I think treasuries right now are, are very much overbought considering we could get a trade deal with China. And with that, you'll see expectations for growth ramped up, both in terms of global GDP as well as corporate revenues yeah. and earnings prospects.
0: John, thank you so much. John Stolfus with Oppenheimer & Company. Just thrilled that uh, he could join us today. Do we have Wells Fargo yet? We do,
1: dropping across the Bloomberg.
5: We do. So I'm taking a look here. No big surprise analysts were expecting this lowered net interest income. Wells Fargo, of course, missing the lowest estimate. And this is after we've seen similar cuts from companies like JP Morgan, example, in the first quarter when they were all taking a look at their full year guidance, uh, net interest income. They were looking at a Fed hike. So that now has shifted. Those are coming down as we're now shifting to to cuts.
0: Return on equity. It's a troubled bank and it's 13 percent. That's not a bad number, John. Still
1: without a CEO, though, looking for a leader. I think we're north of 100 days looking for a CEO it's at brilliant. Wells Fargo is that now. True, Taylor? Yep, it is Taylor? it is.
5: Yeah, and the return on equity is a good number, 13%. You've had companies like J.P. Morgan reaffirm their return on tangible equity at 12%. So those are sort of reaffirming their guidance for the year, uh, just keeping the costs in line and churning out the profit. So now, what do you make of see? the uh,
1: the second quarter total average loans? dropping across the Bloomberg. What do you make of that, Taylor?
5: Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of focus on the consumer. And we know that Wells Fargo, of course, has been a little bit troubled. And so you're seeing uh, perhaps people not want to take out loans with them. I would say, though, that Citi and J.P. Morgan continue to highlight strength in the consumer. So I'm curious to see when Wells Fargo Fargo looks at, you know, credit cards and the consumer and and the big consumer business that they have, what they see in terms of the strength of their within, within mortgage loans and auto loans. Is
0: is are they a bank, Taylor? Within all your reporting, that has to do a lot of triage, or are they just managing themselves out of the? the real estate mess of the years. Yeah.
5: I think Wells Fargo's in a very different bucket than all the other banks that we're looking at. They have, of course, one off idiosyncratic issues that they're dealing with and <clears throat> yeah. so I think it's it's very difficult to sort of put them in another bucket. And, and
0: John, it took me a while to find it because their their statement is baloney to be honest. It's not as clear as I'd like. Their revenue is flat year over year.
1: I love quarterly results with you. It's just a running no, assessment of the press a, release. No, stop
0: uh-huh. no this is the way it works. JP Morgan was Okay, it was really nicely done with just, a lot of just percentage the changes. Just for clarity for people
1: tune, tuning in, you're not talking about it being an okay earnings report. No, the report. presentation. It, it, it's the presentation. Yeah, of we're sitting here the in results. the
0: trenches with a bloomer. J.P. Morgan killed it with great percentage dynamics. It's the dynamics. font size. The font size is great for old farts, yes. Goldman Sachs did not have really good percentage analysis, and I had to hunt for two minutes, Taylor, to find that revenues were flat year over year versus J.P. Morgan up 4%. Right,
5: well, and you saw this with Citi, where the only reason they beat on the bottom line is they had flat top-line revenue, but their cost-cutting, as John had pointed out, had beat expectations. I was asking Allison Williams, how is the cost-cutting of a Citigroup or a Wells Fargo with flat top-line revenue growth better than a cost-cutting of a Deutsche Bank which tries to cut their way to growth which is you know long term you can't do she says that this is good cost cutting Deutsche Bank was decades of bad cost cutting so
1: Sailor Riggs thank you top line revenue that growth
5: flat hey, cut your way to growth. I
1: don't know how you manage to stay so professional as Tom runs around a studio <laughs> with a with spot a of blood <laughs> and a spot in. of blood on a finger honestly this Stitches. is ridiculous you know how I, am I meant to work like this
0: well,
4: you
1: know, what's wrong I, with your hand
0: I, I cut myself it's not even a cut the interns didn't use the expensive staples, so you know,
1: it's the interest. You're blaming fault. the interns, it's the
0: interns' fault.
1: Okay, can I bring in Mark McCormick? Faith from
0: Washington and Lee.
1: Taylor, thank you. We'll I catch up, up with Taylor, Taylor Riggs over the Taylor, next couple thank of days. You so Still much. waiting for Bank of is America and Morgan Stanley. 20?
0: Is there, is this, is I'm gonna go jump today? on
5: the JP Morgan uh, media call right now. No, and no then more we're banks look today, to Bank of America tomorrow, and okay. then Morgan
1: Stanley after that.
0: Okay, okay Taylor Riggs, All thank right. you so much, really, really appreciate it. Can we do some foreign exchange? Oh, please, Dave. With Sterling 124.33, Mark McCormick joining now from TD Securities. Mark, is Sterling tradable?
6: Um... It is. It's just at this moment, it's particularly tricky. Um, Again, we're dealing with uh, an environment that has probably, I would say, binary risks, which makes it very challenging to trade on an investment theme. Um, It's tradable maybe from a tactical perspective where things look a little bit overstretched or our positioning looks a little bit disjointed uh, when you have too much of a discount on the currency, which right now we see about a 3% one relative to our short-term frameworks. But in terms of of, uh, investing in UK assets, I think it becomes a little bit trickier over the medium term
1: so mark i'm lucky to be funded in dollars i've got a co-anchor that i'd like to send away for six months i'm happy to cover his expenses month after month after month and there i just right. want to make sure that i'm pretty hedged with a us dollar that could stay stable or stronger against their currency where should i send him
6: um so yeah i, I think you might probably want to send him to the london office for a little bit um that's probably one of your best environments here yes. where there's the risks here around we've changed the 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 probabilities of where we can go in a post-may government so if boris johnson takes over and we have uh these new brexit scenarios we have one where again we could have uh, a snap election which uh, markets were not anticipating three months ago and we could also have one where we have a hard brexit which uh, again most markets weren't really priced for that if you look at the tail risks around sterling if you look at options pricing all those kind of things a lot of those tail risks were priced out a couple months ago so now a new deal Brexit or hard Brexit is shot right. back up to about 20 30 percent, which uh, makes it very challenging. So if you're going to send Tom away, Blendon's probably a, a good deal. Especially okay. in did I say Tom? Talk. I did say great.
1: Tom. How did Mark know? Just great. How did
0: he know? Well, with your different properties, it gets confusing. But <laughs> you know what's important there is is just pumped on the tots. This you know coming into the season.
1: We're not talking about football yet. Okay, carry on,
0: Mark. If I look at dollar index, so many of our listeners are touched by dollar strength or weakness. What index do you look at? What parameters or pairs, I should say, do you look at to gauge your call on dollar?
6: That's a great question. We look at, um, we, we build our own baskets, but I would say we have three different baskets that provide three different ways of looking at the dollar, especially in this world that's uh, dealing with geopolitical issues, dealing with global growth issues, dealing with trade tensions. And so um, a dollar emerging market basket, I think, is one of the ways you want to think about it. You know, kind of lumping EM as one asset class is, is one way to kind of think about how it trades against the dollar. The dollar block, which I would call almost EM light. Aussie, Kiwi, CAD kind of falls into that category. Um, they're no longer high-yielders like they were back in the uh, the heyday of the global carry trade 10, 15 years ago. But uh, those are important commodity currencies in the G10. And then also the reserve currencies, uh, euro, yen, Swiss, sterling, and also Norway, Sweden, I think, fall into that group. So it, for our global investors, whether they be corporations or real money or global hedge funds, or global pension funds, they they think about the dollar and all these different risk categories. So I think that's one of the emerging ways. I think one of the ways you could do it on Bloomberg is you look at the BDXY, the Bloomberg DXY, that captures some of the the weights that come through on some of the emerging market currencies a little bit better than the DXY.
1: Mark, just for G10 specifically, and just to wrap things up, a lot of people making a weaker dollar call. Underlying that is just a view on rate differentials. Where do rate differentials rank for you in this FX regime?
6: I would say they're very low. Uh much lower than where I think people look at them and give them credence for it. largely because one the correlation's not there. Uh two, FX markets are very forward looking. So if you kind of think about when rate regimes really matter for FX, it's anticipation yeah. ahead of a Fed tightening cycle or Fed mm-hmm. of a cha- or change. It could be up to two years. And what I think is most important is when we flush out factors that we think are driving FX, whether it be uh, trading baskets that we run or models that we run or even just basic correlations, mm-hmm. rate differentials are not – positively correlated with the dollar. They're actually moving in the opposite direction, um, and the correlation is just not statistically significant. The thing that matters the most for G10FX is growth differentials in equities, and I think that is intuitive. To the world that we live in, which is trade tensions, geopolitical right. tensions, um, you know, growth divergence, or the perceptions of who's kind of winning the trade wars, has been driving right. the dollar and okay. those major currencies since uh, February of last year.
0: Got to leave it there, Mark McCormick, Thank you so much. He's a TD App Securities. Uh, a churn to the market with dollar strength right now. Yen gives it back to 108.15. Uh, euros weakness 112.12. We only can speak then to someone who has not one but two clairvoyant essays. Swank, consumer activity stronger than it appears. Swank, retail sales bloom for spring. What did you see others did not see, Diane Swank?
7: Well I think we knew that retail sales would come back after the polar vortex, government shutdown and all the malaise that we really saw in the wake of the December sort of chaos in financial markets. So the good news is we've had solid employment gains. Yeah. We haven't had much of an acceleration in wages, but they're still there. But looking at the detail in retail sales is really interesting as well because you've got strong gains in online sales, but yep. the department stores still contracting. A little bit of a gain in big box discounters offsetting that, but you know that the the root really big trade-offs going on also contraction in gasoline store sales because gasoline prices fell a bit so that helped free up some discretionary spending for people to kick up their heels and go out to restaurants and bars over um, during the July holiday season or during during June.
0: Diane Swank that's right where I wanted to go and I know you do this at Grant Thornton with the entire team there which is the shock of the online to be clear Amazon is in these statistics this morning
7: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Online retailers are in here, and in fact, they're up the non-store retailers, which doesn't have the complete breakdown of online versus other stuff. We get that later that's not seasonally adjusted, but the overall category that includes online is up 13.4% from a year ago. That is pretty stunning numbers. People also forget that much of the online um, retail hiring, um, which um, is actually, in even in warehouses, is in the retail category, not warehousing but, and transportation.
0: And John, M. Amazon Prime Day that's going on right now, you were buying cricket equipment?
1: I was buying Tide <laughs> Pods, and I was buying 90-something Tide Pods for $20. You should maybe Which look is into that. a big that. deal. It's a fantastic deal. We are not going to talk about that right now, though, Diane, because on July 31st, there's a Fed meeting, a Fed decision, and there's a belief that no data, nothing between now and then will change the path of the Federal Reserve, at least in terms of their next move at the end of this month, even though we've had a better CPI print even though we've had retail sales and nothing really to suggest this economy is weakening materially, Diane. What is your response to that argument?
7: Well, I think actually the CPI is interesting because if you look at the the, um, apparel store sales, which actually were affected, um, the apparel was up dramatically in the CPI. That was one of those transitory factors. It looks like they actually contracted in June. So you start getting into the detail and the dirt is always in the detail. But I do think um, the majority of the Fed is now in the position where they've seen persistently weak inflation numbers, the PPI numbers were not as great. And they are concerned that they overshot um, because of that persistent weakness in the inflation numbers in december there's also a concern that um they they, these headwinds that we see coming from abroad which i just was in the middle of for a week one of the most intense weeks i can say in um recent times and that those headwinds um, are accumulating and taking a toll on growth, and need to be offset. And I think that's where the majority of the Fed is. There is a minority that is out there saying, "Listen, we don't want to look like we're being bullied by the um, president of the United States into doing a rate cut, and we want to stand pat." And so I think we will see a rate cut at the end of the month with a dissent to illustrate Interesting. the Fed's independence.
1: Dan, there is
7: that, that that bullying.
1: There's a little bit of tension though still between the Federal Reserve that. On the whole, is ticking up an adjustment of rates and a market that on an aggregate, just looking at the pricing of where rates are right now, is looking for a rate-cutting cycle. Diane, how do we resolve that tension if we do at all in the coming month?
7: Well, I think that's that's going to be really hard, and that is that the Fed is ready to do a preemptive cut. It's not ready to promise a series of rate cuts. And this is where the dissonance has been in equity markets and in the bond market as well. The bond market almost expecting recession today, where equity markets have been on the run. And that dissonance, it's never resolved very pretty, and I have a feeling yeah. we're in for a rocky summer.
0: Diane Swank with us. Grant Thanks, Thornton. Diane. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance podcast